0: This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas, Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. The speaker for this message is Rob Tombrella, a pastor at Grace Church. And we're in the 13th chapter of John this morning. If you come from any kind of a religious background, and we all do because we live in a very religious society, um, you might have different concepts of what it means to be loved by God and really what the love of God is. And there's all kinds of weird ideas that are floating around out there, uh, really bad ideas about what the love of God is. Um, For instance, if you come from a Jehovah's Witness background or if you come from a Mormon background. The love of God is something that's, that might be out there, but you've got it in you and you can somehow match it. You can compete with it. You can, uh, you can, uh, you can earn a way to, to be loved by God. You can work hard enough for it. Um, If you come from just even a church background in the southern United States, which is where we are, uh, there's kind of this moralistic deism that if I just work hard enough, if I have enough effort, uh, if I you know give enough money to the church, or if I give my time uh, to the church, then I can somehow earn a way to God. I can earn a spot with God. I can get grace from God. I can merit it from Him. Uh, I can buy it from Him. If I have to work hard enough, uh, I can do it. Uh, We live in a very... Uh, go-getter culture. So we just think that we can just get grace. We can get God's love. We can get His favor if we just work hard enough. We're crying out loud. That's how society works where we live, and that's actually not the gospel. There's a lot of churches that are uh, preaching a message today uh, that goes something like that. You work hard enough, you'll get grace. You work good enough you merit god's love and you merit god's favor If you sign up for enough of our programs and you give enough money uh to the church then then love will will somehow fall into your lap or you can release the love that's already in your heart it's a disneyland mentality of grace just discover the love and the life that's already there and just just pour it out from you and that's not the gospel and that's not what we teach here at Grace Church because grace, as we understand it from the Bible, is something that's on the outside of us that comes towards us through Jesus Christ. We don't earn it. We don't merit it. We don't work for it. It comes to us by faith alone. Jesus is the one who pours out grace upon his church and individually we are broken and messed up people and the only way that we get into a relationship with God is by grace alone through faith alone based on the finished work of what Jesus has done Religious, religion says do. Do, 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 do. Do this and do this and do this and then somehow you'll, you'll be in a relationship with God and Christianity is Jesus Christ has done all of our works for us and he wants to put us into relationship with God through his spirit. And the way that that happens is by faith alone and that's how grace comes to us. It's on the outside towards us and it's all in Christ and that's why as a church we want to be called Grace Church and we want to tell people about this amazing love and this amazing grace of God. Now, this is revolutionary. No religious guru today, I don't care if it's Tony Robbins or some Mormon dude or Jehovah's Witness people or whatever it is, nobody teaches about the radical love of God the way Jesus both taught it and the way that he demonstrated it and the way that he lived it. For instance, listen to this. Luke 6 says, if you love those who love you, this is Jesus speaking, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. So, so so many religions, it's, it's if I do this, then I'll get something back in return. And that's why we do it. But Jesus says, if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those who, from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners and get back the same amount. But your, But your love is to love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the most high for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil be merciful, even as your father is merciful. So there's not a lot of context. I don't think in my life where I use the word radical because words are kind of overused in our culture. You know, everything in our culture is radical. Everything is awesome. Um, Actually, radical is probably more from my upbringing. That's probably more of an 80s term than it is today. But I would use that word to describe the love of Jesus. Both how he demonstrates it, how he demands it, and how he declares it. And so today we're going to look at John chapter 13 and look at the whole chapter. And that's going to serve as our outline. The radical love of Jesus and how he demonstrates it in his own life. How he demands it from us. It's got to come out from us. And how he declares the effects of it and the fruit of it. So I'm going to just set the story by reading the first few verses of John 13, pray, and we'll get started. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and that he was going back to God, rose from supper. And lay. And he laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Father, would you give us eyes to see everything that you'd have us to see today? Father, if we've never been amazed, if we've never been amazed by the radical grace of Jesus, would you awaken the eyes of our hearts so that we would be amazed by your amazing love and that we would in turn trust you? May that be a a converting testimony to somebody today who's hearing this word May there be a converting spark in their hearts that causes them to trust the one they've never trusted before. And for everybody else who has been cleaned by Jesus Christ and been brought into a relationship with God through Jesus, I pray, Lord, that you would open up our hearts to see that we are on mission. We have a responsibility by grace and under grace to spread the message of this healing one to as many people as we possibly can. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's look at how Jesus demonstrates this amazing love, this radical love. Look at verses 1 through 11. I've already read the first part of it, but look how Jesus sets up what he's doing. It's after Passover, and Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. So it's important that we understand that Jesus was born in time, But the Son of God is eternal and He has eternally been with the Father in celebration of the grace and love of God in union with the Father forever. That He didn't come to earth because He was lacking relationship. You know, I used to tell people that, you know, Jesus came to save people because he wanted friendship and he wanted to be in relationship with God. Now, in case you're worrying, I haven't said that any time recently, but early on in in my Christian life, I would say those kinds of things. That's just not true. The Son of God has eternally been with the Father. And has always been in perfect relationship with the Father. And he came to earth on a specific mission to redeem lost people who have been separated from the Father. We have separated ourselves from God. And the gospel is that Jesus came to restore a relationship between us and God. Because we can't do it on our own. Religion says you can. The Bible says you can't. Christianity says you can't. You can't do that. We, and we, in our hearts, we continue to try to do that. And we forget that Jesus was sent from the Father to the world to redeem people back to the Father. And he recognizes that that's what he's doing. And he's about to go back to the Father. Because his mission is about to be completed when he dies for us and he rises from for us. And he goes back to his Father. So knowing this, knowing that he is about to, to do this, it says, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, and that basically means he gives the fullest expression of his love. He aims for them to see his love, he wants them to see it the highest expression of it, the fullest extent of his love to this point. In a moment, they're going to see that that was just an echo of the amazing love of God as he's hanging on the cross, bearing the wrath of sin, and he is. Bleeding, and he is being tortured, and he is taking responsibility for things he should not be taking responsibility for because they are our sins placed upon him and blood is flowing down and love is flowing down from his body onto people who don't deserve it. But this is going to be the echo of what is to come. During supper... When the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he had come from God, and he was going back to God, rose from supper. Now, he's about to do something utterly radical. And I think we should just pause and see where does the motivation come to do radical things and amazing exploits in the kingdom of God for the glory of God. Where does it come from? It comes from understanding who he is, where he came from, and where he's going. He he knew that the Father had given all things into his hands. He has an authority over all things. He had come from God and he was going back to God. And this motivation causes him to demonstrate to his disciples amazing love. So he rises from supper. He lays aside his outer garments. Takes a towel, he tied it around his waist. So every every point in here the disciples are just freaking out. Because their Messiah, their Lord, is taking the posture of what only Gentile slaves and women in this culture and children do. He's identifying with the posture of a slave. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He's going person by person. He's going foot by foot, 24 times, all the way around the table. He's going to start with each disciple and they're just amazed at what he is doing. What is our lord doing? What is our teacher, our rabbi doing? I mean, we ought to do this to him, but he's doing it for us. And even in that culture, peers didn't do these kinds of things. Slaves do these kinds of things. And Jesus is taking the posture of a slave and he's taking the grimiest thing about them physically, the dirtiest, filthiest thing about them Physically, he is taking in his pure hands, and he's taking a basin and water and a towel, and he's cleaning them, and and he's he's amazing them while he's doing this. And it's not shouldn't be surprising that in verse six, Simon Peter, who just operates from a stream of consciousness all the time, says, "Lord, do you wash my feet?" Jesus answered him, "What I am doing, you do not understand now." But afterwards, you will understand. He says, I understand that you don't understand what we're doing. What I'm about to do and what I'm doing right now, you don't get. But you will afterwards. And what he's referencing is after I rise from the dead, after you've seen me die on the cross, you will understand what it is that I'm doing. And Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. He he does these kinds of things with Jesus just like you do and I do. (laughs) You're not going to touch that dirty area of my life. Your hands are too pure and too clean and that thing is far too embarrassing for your hands and your eyes and your grace. You should be far too ashamed to actually go there, Jesus. You're not going to do that, Jesus. I'm going to close this part off from your saving grace and you can go to work on other places but you're not going to go there Jesus you you can hear your voice in Peter's can't you you're never going to wash my feet I'll serve you Jesus I'll wash your feet and Jesus says you're not going to get the glory in this relationship I'm going to get the glory I'm the servant that serves you I'm the one that lifts you up out of the pit I'm the one that cleans you where you can't Clean yourself. You're not going to get the glory which we often want to. I can clean myself. I don't need you, Jesus. I don't need your work. And then Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. I mean this is this needs to be our message to our culture. This needs to be the message to our neighbors, our co workers, our friends and our families. You can't have a part of Jesus. You can't befriend him on Facebook. And just have him a part of your life and expect everything from him when you die and go to heaven or something. You you can't just follow him like you follow somebody on Twitter. It's a relationship in which he is Lord of all and Lord over all. And Jesus says, I'm everything to you. And if you want a relationship with me, you've got to let me wash you. You've got to let me wash you. And so so often people want to affirm Jesus. I believe in Jesus, but not allow him to wash me clean because he cleans us. He washes us. He goes to work on us. He goes to work on the dirty places of our hearts and of our lives and of our past. He goes to work on everything in our lives. Nothing is hidden from him. You can't go there, Jesus. No, he's Lord and he's the one who comes with his towel and his basin. And he says, if you don't allow me to wash you, you have no share with me. That's how the relationship works. It's all or nothing. That's how it is. We need to tell people that. It's all or nothing with Jesus. There's not this area on the fence in which I can just hang out with Jesus, believe in Jesus, but really through my moralistic behavior, I can earn a spot with God and His grace. The relationship works one way, grace only. And so Simon immediately repents. I mean... Here's his, here's his repentance. Verse 9, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. He's like, give me a bath. I'm, I'm wrong. I'm wrong in my thinking. That's what it means to repent. Change your thinking. Change your, the way that you're, you're responding to God and completely reverse that. And that's exactly what Peter does. In verse 9, he repents. And Jesus said to him, the one who bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. He, he just gives... Peter, a promise here. Now he's, now we're not talking about feet, dirty, 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 disgusting feet. We're talking about the dirty, disgusting heart that Jesus cleans. And now he's, he's speaking spiritually. He says, the one who has had a bath is completely clean. And now what he's saying is, anybody who is following me by faith alone, you've turned your back on the world, you've repented, and you're following Jesus. Jesus is saying, you are completely clean. You are clean from the penalty of sin in your life, and you've been brought into a whole relationship with God by faith alone. Now, that doesn't mean that the presence of God, the presence of sin is completely removed from our lives, so we, in a relationship with Christ, need to be continually cleaned by His grace. And that's what Jesus is saying here. The one who has bathed does not need to wash, and He tells them, You're completely clean. And then He goes, And you are clean. Is there anybody in the room right now that needs to hear that truth? You are a follower of Jesus Christ. And yes, your feet need to be clean. The the places that you have gone in your heart, the places that you've gone in your mind, in a relationship with Christ, you need to be continually cleansed of the presence of sin in your life. But you are completely clean if you trust and have trusted in the finished and perfect work of Jesus Christ alone. You've been united to Him by faith And God says to you, like he says to Peter, you're completely clean. You are clean by faith alone. And then he says, but not every one of you. And this is just extremely sobering. I mean, he is going around the table washing people's feet, every single one. And then he washes the feet of one who is not completely clean. They're not true followers of Jesus. There's one in the room that's not a true follower of Jesus Christ. They know, he knows all the songs. He knows all the lingo. He knows all the Christian talk that you're supposed to give. He knows what to say. He knows how to respond. He knows when to sit and when to stand and when to kneel and when to pray. He knows what to say to kind of get, it, get in with the crowd and all that kind of stuff. But he's not completely clean because he's not a true follower of Jesus. Jesus is not all and he has no part with Jesus. He's doing all this stuff, saying all the right things, and it's very possible. Judas is a great illustration of a lot of folks in our culture. Maybe an illustration of you. You know the words, you know the lingo, you know what to say. Jesus is not all, though. To follow him is not to follow the only Lord, the, the master of your life, and the highest treasure of your heart. And so Jesus demonstrates amazing love in washing the feet of the one who's going to betray him. He knows the enemy that's in the room and he washes the feet lovingly. And Judas doesn't resist. He allows his feet to be washed just like Peter. Even though Peter will endure and Judas will not. We resist his mercy. Jesus is demonstrating mercy and we resist this, don't we? We resist this towel, this basin, this water. We resist his hands invading places of our hearts where we're embarrassed and we just want to lock, we just want to put a key and a lock on that thing and say, this area of my life, I don't want you to demonstrate your grace to. And Jesus wants to and he does in mercy towards us. And then he demands it Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who has sent him. If you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. Jesus says, just as I've done for you, I want you to do this to one another. And if you do this, you're blessed if you do this. Now, as he's saying, what I want you all to do now is take your shoes off and everybody wash each other's feet. Well, that wouldn't be the worst application of this message. I mean, we all have dirty feet from time to time, and we need our feet cleaned by We need our feet cleaned, okay? But that's not exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about the spiritual cleansing of the heart that goes on day by day as we find ourselves walking into places with our mind and walking into places with our hearts that we need to be continually, ongoingly cleaned from. And we can't see these things on our own, so we need the help of others. We need the love of others. We need the courage of others to take their towel and basin and water And while we're cleaning their feet, they're cleaning our feet. And this is grace and this is mercy. This is the family of God. To be in a family is to be in the family of God is to be just like in in your own family. I mean, it doesn't mean that things are always right or things are always easy. It doesn't mean that you don't ever argue or fight. But you fight like family and you love like family and you, you go where the dirty spots are in the family and you help each other and you love each other. And that's what Jesus is saying. I command you to do this to demonstrate this. Now, when we're talking about the places in our hearts that need to be cleansed ongoingly by the presence of God through our love for one another, we need to be real with what that is. I mean, let's just think about feet for a second, okay? The reason why a pedicure is so expensive is because feet are so ugly and gross. (laughs) I'm sorry, ladies, and maybe some men in here. If you're a man and you get a pedicure, let's talk afterwards. Actually, some of you men might need a pedicure, so that might be a great application of this message. You need to go get a pedicure. Our feet are just, come on, let's just be real here. Our feet are just kind of gross. It's kind of a gross body part. It was gross then. It's kind of a knobby, um, veiny, bony body part now. And all kinds of things happen to your feet. You get things like corns. What are corns? And bunions and just gross stuff like that, right? Of course, not on your feet, right? I mean, feet are just kind of this embarrassing kind of body part. Gross. Filthy. Messy. If that's true today, just imagine then. Imagine the feet that Jesus is going around the table cleaning. I mean, this is an agricultural society. Where have those feet gone? What have those feet walked in? How do those feet smell? And Jesus is going after the messiest spot imaginable. And this is what we're called to do with one another. We are not to fear the messy junk of our lives. I could use a stronger word there. Paul uses a stronger word in Philippians. We are not to be afraid of the messy dirt and the manure of our lives. We're to show that to people and ask for their help and their grace and their towel and their basin. And we're to go not invasively intrusive or anything like that, But we're to go and lovingly get down on our hands and knees, and not over them, speaking over people, but under and helping and coming alongside to help people and and to see that they're they're being cleansed and and freed from dirt and filth, things like bitterness and jealousy and anger and greed and laziness. How do these things get out from away from us? Well, it comes as other people come with their towel and their basin under the grace and power of Jesus. And says, you know, jealousy doesn't look like Jesus. Let's get, let's get it out of your life. This anger doesn't look like Jesus. Greed. Let's, get, let's help get greed out of your life while you're helping me get greed out of my life. While you're helping me get freed from laziness, you, you as well. Um, and the, these things are uh, somewhat on the respectable list. But what about the unrespectable list like same-sex attraction? Many Christians struggle with same-sex attraction. Many Christians struggle with porn. Many Christians struggle with cutting. Just wanting to feel something. Just can I feel anything. So maybe I can feel something if I do that. Addictions. Maybe they, they trade in their pot, but they trade it in for prescription medication. Suicide. Suicidal thoughts. I heard last week there was a suicide in Frisco High School. I mean, not in the high school, but a high school student. I mean, this major filthy stuff, right? Well, this is what the call of the church, the demand of Jesus is to go to the need, go to the attraction, go to the jealousy, go to the the cutting, go to the addiction, go to the fatherless, go there with the towel and the basin and to be on mission. And as we go, look at verse 20. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me Whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Jesus identifies with us as we go to the hurt, as we go to the mess, as we go to the filth and the dirt and the disgusting stuff of life. He identifies with believers as they do that because just a a few verses ahead, he says, Scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. Jesus is washing the feet of the one who's going to lift his heel against Jesus. And he says, when you do that, in the power of my name and under the authority of Christ, I identify with you. There's this authority that he says in verse 20. Whoever receives the one I send receives me. Connect the word one with me. Anybody who receives a believer and a brother and a sister in Jesus Christ, Jesus says, I identify with that person. This is an amazing truth that makes menial tasks in the kingdom of God go away. They vanish. There is nothing menial anymore in the kingdom of God. There is no menial task. There is no menial job. It's not about getting on stage. It's not about being a pastor. It's, it's not about being a, a particular leader in the church. It's about finding your gift and your calling and being on mission to go after the messy places of the world, being identified as a believer in Christ and with His authority and with His power and with His grace and with Him watching. Paul got this. Paul understood this. Now, here's how he, here's how he got this. This is his testimony. There's this apostle Paul, which wrote a lot of scripture, and this is how he became a Christian. This isn't how I became a Christian, but this is how he became a Christian. He says, I persecuted this way to death. This way. That's the people of God coming into relationship with God through Jesus. Binding and delivering to prison both men and women. Men and women. As the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness from them, I received letters to the brothers and I journeyed towards Damascus to take those also who were, who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem and be punished. So he's talking about people. I bound up men. I bound up women. I delivered them to prison. Some of them died. People, people, people. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? And can you finish the verse? Me, me, Jesus identifies with the men he identified with the women who were delivered over into prison, who were, who were put to death by Paul. Jesus says, when you did that, you did that to me. Me. And Paul says, Who are you, Lord? And he said to him, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Jesus takes it very personally. He identifies with us. He identifies with us on mission. He identifies with us as we're serving brothers and sisters, as we're taking towels and basins and water to brothers and sisters. He's saying, you're doing that to me. You're doing that to me. You're doing that to me. And it revolutionizes our calling as Christians. Everyone sent on mission everyone's called to transform lives in front of us. Every single one. It's not stage two in the Christian life. It's not for some future mature place. Well, I'll do that when I get mature enough. I'll do that when my mouth cleans up or I'll do that when I'm financially able or something like that. No, you are called right now, we are called right now to transform literally lives in front of us. Jesus is putting people in front of us and he's saying, go there, go to the hurt, go to the mess, go to the filth, go to the dirt, go to the disgusting stuff of life, open up your life and show where Jesus is cleaning you and then go in turn and, and clean them. One day, you and I will be so surprised to discover where Jesus was When we were on mission, either purposefully or unintentionally. There'll be lots of surprise in heaven. Jesus says, the righteous one day will answer and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you? Or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? In other words, you are rewarding us for things that We don't remember seeing you in. There were sick people, sure. There were people in prison, sure. There were people who were lonely and needed to be visited, sure. There were people that needed to be clothed. And yes, at times we clothed them. There were thirsty people and hungry people. But when did we do these things for you? And the king will answer. You all know the the phrase. Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. He takes it personally. And he sends us on mission with a great, great calling. We are called, and I don't mean this in some youthful, idealistic way, change the world. We are called to transform lives in front of us. Every single one of us are. We're to go to the hurting, go to the stranger. We're to help them and point them to Jesus. Lastly, look how he declares it. Look at verse 21. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. And one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table close to Jesus. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, It is he whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. So Satan's already influenced him. Now he is entering into Judas to betray Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. I and mean, you can just think, see the setting. I mean, he's not saying it was just physically night there's a darkness now that is setting because Jesus is about to undergo the most excruciating suffering any human being has ever undergone. I mean, he has just been betrayed by somebody he has spent years investing in, in loving, in pursuing, in teaching, in discipling, and he has just washed his feet. And that of that person is going to be a heel that is going to come against him and now suffering is going to set in and it's going to escalate and just avalanche upon Jesus at this point. And now he alludes to this in verse 31. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified. Note note these words. Now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Jesus is going to be glorified, glorified, glorified because he is about to suffer, 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 suffer. And it's all started when it became night when Judas went out and and went to betray Jesus. So Jesus' glory is going to be in his suffering. Now, the amazing thing about this glory that Jesus is about to exalt is that you and I participate in, In this glory, as we suffer for one another and for the lost, we experience the glory in our measure in a similar way that Jesus is about to experience glory when he suffers. He says, you will seek me just as I said to the Jews, so now... I also say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. He tells his disciples, you can't go where I'm going. You can't come where I'm going to go. You can't do what I'm about to do. And then he says in verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. That's the, that's the summary of the passage. You love one another. You love, and you keep on loving one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. You're going to go after people. You're to help people, clean people, love one another. And then he says in verse 35, by the way, by this, by what, by your love for one another, by the towel and basin love that you have for one another, all people. Do you hear the the, the missional text here? All people will know that you are my disciples if you have this kind of love for one another. This is what the world needs to see. It's revolutionary. It's radical. It's something they've never seen before. You know, it's, you know, so many times churches try to, we will go after people by mesmerizing them with uh, light shows and concerts and, uh, any number of things so that so that they'll just be amazed at what it means to be a Christian. If we can just be cool enough, if we can just wear the right clothes and say the right things, if they just see how awesome we are and how cool we are, well, they'll be attracted to us. And Jesus says, that's not how it works at all. The single most attractive thing to broken and abandoned people in the world is that they see the kind of love that I just demonstrated to my disciples lived out among a people, among the people of God. And that makes a declaration to people. They don't get that. What in the world is the life that's happening in those people? I don't understand that. I've got to know where I get this life. Think about our city. Think about about our city. What would you describe as the greatest need for our city? Think about our city with... With all the temptations to have the perfect image, I gotta project. I gotta project the perfect image. I gotta have the perfect car. I gotta have the perfect yard. I gotta have the perfect kids. I gotta have the perfect body, and I'll, I'll do whatever it takes to get the perfect body. I gotta have the perfect life. I gotta have the perfect sexual fulfillment. I gotta have, everything in my life has gotta be perfect, or at least the image has gotta be projected as perfect. How else am I gonna have commun- community with other people who have perfect lives? I, the image has gotta be projected out there. And if you were just, to, if we are, were just to take the image down, and scripture helps us to do this, our understanding of the human condition helps us to knock the image down, we would see a lot of folks that are self-absorbed, a lot of folks who are battling loneliness and fear. A lot of people that would just love the image driven bondage to go away. We'd see people that are porn addicted. We'd see people that are having physical affairs and emotional affairs. People who are trapped and flirting with homosexuality and wishing to get free from that. Broken homes. Angry, tired folks. The last thing a city like that needs is another self-absorbed group that says we've got the perfect image and we've got the perfect car and we've got the perfect yard and we've got the perfect kids and we've got the perfect body and we've got the perfect life through Jesus. Because we can do that as Christians. We can try to compete with the culture, the vortex of the culture and say we 've got everything you 've got, but we 've got it through Jesus, so if you get jesus you 'll have an already okay life will be even better so we can we can match your perfection and we can make it better through Jesus They're wrong what they need to see is a messy church being changed by the love of Jesus we are not All together. Our perfect image is not us. Our perfect image is Christ who has cleansed us and cleaned us up. And now in our relationship with Him, He is continually driving out loneliness from us and self-absorption from us and temptation from us. We're resisting by His power. We're being changed by the love of Jesus and we are courageously going after you and loving you to Him. And that's the courage that I think the Lord would, would want to give to us by His Spirit. A courage to love a city and to say it's not in the yard, it's not in the kids, it's not in the body, it's in Christ alone. Fulfillment is found in Jesus. Now the only way that they're going to know that and see that is if we are courageous enough to take our shoes off and let them see the corns, man. They've got to see the bunions on our feet. I don't even know what those are, okay? Okay. I pray, I don't get bunions. That might be God's discipline for me. I'm I'm talking about it, and I hope I don't get that. But they've got to see that. You know what I'm saying? They've got to see that. If we don't show them, where are they going to see it? They're not going to see it on TV. You turn Christian TV on, and it's all about getting the perfect life through Jesus Christ. It's all prosperity. It's all this physical prosperity. No, it's not about... Finding new life and power to be freed from sin through Christ and a relationship with him. It's not there. We've got to take the shoes off and show how Jesus is, is cleaning us. What if we let our next-door neighbors in to see our dirt and how Christ is bringing his cleaning power to us? How Christ is making us whole and changing us. We gotta get past the dirt on our living room floors, I think. We gotta just get past that. If we're gonna actually practice biblical hospitality, which is not just loving one another, that's loving strangers. That's saying, stranger, come into my house. Filthy mouth person, come into my house. Kids that don't behave like my kids, come on into my house. And, and see how Christ is transforming me. See how Christ is, is changing us uh, and changing our lives day by day moment by moment it's going to take courage it's, got to, it's going to take a courage to be willing to be rejected and betrayed to love people to the point of betrayal that's when you know you're real is when you love people to the point where I don't care if this person lifts their heel against me and completely rejects me I'm going to love this person to Christ as best as I can let's close with this how do we do this? Look at verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, Where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterwards. I mean, Jesus just has so much faith in his disciples. You don't understand this now, but you will understand it. You're not going to follow me where I'm going now, but you will follow me. He just believes. He has faith. He knows his disciples will follow him. He understands the power of God. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. The power to love like Jesus does not come from within. From within us. It doesn't originate from us. It's not a spark that we create. That's Disney. Disney. That is not gospel. It comes from the life that Jesus lived, that he died and he poured out by his blood and he put on us and in us by his Holy Spirit and then gives us the power to love like he loved. Not perfectly, but growing day by day and moment by moment. Let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit www.gracechurchfrisco.org.